Hey guys, and welcome back to the second episode of the Mysterious Benedict Society Reload Podcast, Book 2. Today, we will be reading Chapter 2, but first a recap of Chapter 1. So it has been one year since the Mysterious Benedict Society went on their secret mission, and now all of the children have received a letter from Mr. Benedict, telling them of a surprise he has for them. Rennie and Kate have a reunion on Kate's farm. Kate is learning how to regurgitate things, but... She won't tell Rennie exactly what she's swallowing, and has a new pet falcon named Madge. Kate and Rennie discussed how life was going for each other with new families, and how boring it was not to be a secret agent anymore. Okay, that's a recap of chapter one. Let's read chapter two. Chapter two, The Unseen Warning. Kate and Rennie spent the rest of the morning doing chores. It was enjoyable work, especially since they were engaged the whole time in conversation. As they picked apples from the few trees giving fruit, Kate told Rennie about her last school year. Classes were easy enough, but there were far too much sitting in desks. As they filled the water trough, she described what a terrible state of disrepair the old farm had been when she and Milligan had returned to it. And as they oiled the gate to the animal pen, she related how Milligan would sometimes come home from a mission in the middle of the night, wake her up, and talk with her for hours. Which is fine by me, Kate said, working the gate hinge to be sure it was entirely smooth and squeakless. She cast Rennie a sly look. He tells me all sorts of top-secret things. Rennie raised his eyebrows. Like what? I'd better wait and tell you and Siggy at the same time, Kate said. He'll want to hear it too, you know. She considered for a moment, then added reluctantly. For that matter, I suppose we should wait until Constance is with us too. Then at least tell me about that, Rennie said, pointing toward two hens he had just seen come around the corner of the barn. The hens were harnessed to a tiny wagon filled with grain, and, with chickeny little stutter steps and great deal of clucking and flapping, were towing the wagon toward the hen house. Chicken delivery, Kate said with a nod of satisfaction, one of my pet projects. She glanced at Rennie to see she caught her joke, but he seemed too preoccupied by the feathery spectacle to have noticed. A chicken-drawn wagon, said Rennie, who politely pretended not to have heard Kate's joke. Now how did you manage that? Oh, training the chickens was easy, Kate said. The hard part was training Madge not to hunt them. I lost two hens before she caught on. She paused a moment to honor the memory of the unfortunate hens, then continued brightly. I told you I learned a lot from that animal trainer, remember? I've been training the farm animals to do their chores. Milligan's often away, so we need a lot of help around here. Might as we you well uses what we have. I think it's brilliant, said Rennie, with perfect sincerity. The chickens feed themselves, and the livestock open and close their own gate? "'You saw that?' said Kate, looking pleased. "'Yes, they come and go whenever Mucho sounds the farm bell,' she pointed to the orchard. "'Speaking of Mucho, there he is now. Hey, Mucho, here's Rennie.' Kate had mentioned Mucho Bazo in her letters, so Rennie knew a few things about him. He knew, for instance, that Milligan had wanted someone to help out on the farm, as well as to look after Kate when he was away on missions, and that Kate had persuaded him to hire one of her old circus friends.' But now, as the swarthy figure of Mucho Brazos emerged from the apple trees, Rennie realized that Kate hadn't neglected to mention a detail or two. She certainly didn't need to fill him in now, for it was perfectly clear that Mucho's enormous muscles, slick down hair, and handlebar mustache that he'd been the circus's strong man. Mucho was toting a heavy tub full of apples that Rennie and Kate had picked earlier that morning. They left it at the far edge of the orchard to be retrieved by Mucho. In the farm truck, Rennie had supposed, not having conceived that anyone could carry it more than a few steps. But Mucho had gone on foot, and in his hands the apple tub looked no more than substantial than a bowl of cherries. "'So you're the wonderful Rennie Muldoon,' he said as he came up. "'I've heard so much about you.' Giving his daunting appearance, Mucho's soft, melodious voice was every bit as unexpected as his attire. 
a flowery apron worn over coveralls and house slippers. He set the apple tub down and gave Brittany's hand a gentle squeeze. Very pleased to meet you. Overslept, have you, Mucho? Kate said. Mucho yawned as if on cue. We were up so late waiting, you know. Madge and I were up late. You went to bed at nine. Which, as you know perfectly well, is long past my bedtime, Mucho said. So no scolding, young lady. Unless, of course, you don't care to eat any of my apple pies tonight. Kate immediately repented of her teasing, then told him about the broken-down car. Mucho offered to fetch Miss Permal and her mother in the farm truck, but Rennie said he expected them to arrive soon. The mechanic had promised the car would be fixed before lunch. "'Well, if they aren't here by then, I'll go for them,' Mucho said, scooching up the apple tub and starting for the house. "'We can't let them eat in town. The cafe is dreadful.' Rennie watched him go, still marveling at how effortlessly he carried the tub. "'I see why you asked Milligan to hire him. He must do the work of several people.' "'Oh, yes, I suppose he does,' said Kate. She grinned. "'But wait till you try his pies. Then you'll know the real reason.'" Noontime found Rennie and Kate perched high atop the farmhouse roof. They had gone up to replace a broken shingle and write a listing weather vane, and afterward they had lingered to survey the countryside. The view was excellent from that height, and Kate was pointing out the distant mill pond, scene of her earliest memory, that of swimming with Milligan, when a faraway sound caught their attention. They turned to see a plume of dust rising over the lane in the distance. "'That must be Amon Patti,' Rennie said, but Kate, fixing the dust plume on her spyglass, gave a little gasp and cried. "'They're all here, Rennie. I mean, Sticky's here, too.' Rennie took the spyglass. Kate was thrusting it upon him with such zeal he feared she would knock him off the roof. And sure enough, down the dusty lane came Miss Primal and her mother in the station wagon, followed by an old sedan. The Washingtons had arrived earlier than expected. Kate scrambled nimbly to the edge of the roof, gripped the sides of her ladder, and slid it down on height like a firehouse pole, bypassing the rungs altogether. By the time Rennie had descended in a more conventional fashion, the farmyard was full of automobiles, and the Permals and Washingtons were chatting with mutual Brazos, who had hurried out to greet them. And Kate was helping Sticky up from the ground and dusting him off. To Rennie's surprise, Kate looked Sticky looked exactly as he'd looked a year ago, a skinny boy with light brown skin, anxious eyes, though perhaps the anxiety came from not yet having recovered his breath, and a completely bald head. The baldness was the surprising part. The last time Rennie had seen Sticky, all his hair had grown back. It had since disappeared. His spectacles were missing, too, but this was only because Kate was now just picking them up from wherever she hung, had hugged her knocked him free. Clutching his ribs, Sticky gave Rennie a feeble smile. Then the two boys laughed and hugged and clapped each other about on the back. All around them, the adults were chattering about faulty cutterbirders and making good time on the highways as bumping into one another expectantly in town. Mr. Washington was getting a wheelchair out of the trunk from Miss Washington, whose troubled knees kept her from walking much, but who nonetheless took a few painful steps to embrace Rennie and Kate. A short woman with walnut-colored skin, narrow shoulders, and a rather pouty mouth, belied by the kindness in her eyes. Miss Washington couldn't stop shaking her head as she turned into the children's faces left and right in her hands. "'You both look years old already,' she said ruefully, as if she couldn't bear the thought. Mr. Washington came up with the wheelchair, and his wife lowered herself into the seat and dabbed at her shining eyes. Mr. Washington, who resembled a larger version of Sticky, tall, slender, and bespectacled, was not much for words, but he smiled fondly and greeted the children with reserved pats on their shoulders. Meanwhile, Miss Permal, her arms crossed protectively over her ribs, had come over to hug Kate. "'Don't you look wonderful, dear? Oh, and I see you've put a lid on your bucket. How clever!' Kate beamed. She always flattered when somebody complimented her bucket." and only her desire to steal away and talk privately with the boys prevented her from opening the bucket and showing Miss Promo its entire inventory. 
They were already going to have to wait too much too long to waiting to be alone. For first, the luggage had to be brought in, and lunch eaten, and the dishes cleared away, and the guests situated in their rooms. All of which was perfectly pleasant, but took ages to accomplish. By mid-afternoon, the three young friends were casting nearly constant, yearning glances at one another, and when Miss Permel finally asked them to make themselves scarce so the adults could speak in private, they lost no time in firm bolting for the door. Still, as they walked down to the orchard, Sticky looked suspiciously back toward the farmhouse. What do they want to speak privately, I wonder? It's Mr. Benedict's surprise when he said, They're in on it. They are? So that explains why my parents have been whispering. I thought they were discussing Mom's getting a second job. They know I'm dead set against it. I'd sooner go back to quizzing, you know, but they're still daddy dense that. Rennie knew from Sticky's letters that his father already did work two jobs. Their family's finances were terribly strained due to the unhappy events leading up to last year. Sticky's prodigious memory was and reading abilities had made him an incomparable quiz champion. But he had suffered badly under the pressure to make his family's fortune, and ultimately had run away from home. The Washingtons had spent every penny, in fact had gone deep into debt, in order to find Sticky and bring him back to them. They had been distressful of money's allure ever since, and were stubbornly unwilling to let Sticky be subjected to unusual pressures. They can hardly stand even to hear me talk about our time at the Institutes to get written. The very thought of my being in danger makes them tremble. And so the Washingtons remain quite poor. How did you find out that they know about the surprise? Sticky asked, as they settled down in the shade of an apple tree. Alma got a letter from Mr. Benedict when he said, I saw it on her dresser, but she neglected to mention it to me, and later I overheard bits of a conversation she had with Patty. Patty's he- hard of hearing, so Alma had to say a few things rather louder than she meant to. None of it was enough to give me any clues, but I could tell they knew something I didn't. Long, not long after that, I got my own letter from Mr. Benedict, the one he sent all of us, and I knew we were in for something good. Of course it will be good. How could it not be good? said Kate, leaning back on her elbows with a satisfied smile. It's already good. We're together, aren't we? And tomorrow we'll see Mr. Benedict. Not to mention Rhonda number two, Rennie said, referring to Mr. Benedict's brilliant assistants, who also happened to be his adopted daughters, though this wasn't widely known. I can't wait to see them either. Neither can I, Sticky said, in a somewhat more subdued tone, he added. And, well, Constance, too, of course. And what about Milligan, Kate? At lunch you said he'd meet us at Mr. Benedict's house. But wasn't he supposed to just be here? That was the plan, but he got called away on a mission. What kind of mission, asked Rennie and Sticky, at the same time. They were both hungry for details. Kate shrugged. No idea. He never tells me anything beforehand. Only afterward. I always read the paper for clues, of course. I'd love to be able to f- tell him. I figured out what he'd been up to. But I never find anything. So you have been keeping up, Sticky said. I asked about that in my last letter, but you never replied. His tone was slightly resentful, but Kate either ignored it or else was blithely unaware. Of course I've been keeping up, but I'm not like you, Sticky. I can't read ten newspapers every morning, and half of them in foreign languages. I only read the Stonetown Times. Why, have you seen anything suspicious? Sticky grunted. I wish. What about you, Rennie? Although this conversation might have seemed strange if overheard, for it is rare to hear children discussing the newspaper, and still more to hear one asking whether anything suspicious had been found, to Rennie and his friends it felt perfectly natural. All of them had long habit of reading the new paper, newspaper. In fact, it was a newspaper advertisement that had first led them to Mr. Benedict, and ever since their mission they had scanned the daily headlines with particular interest. It was doubtful that any activity concerning Mr. Kern would be disclassified or printed, but it was always possible that something seemingly innocent story might reveal a connection to something deeper and darker, 
something the children would recognize even if the other readers would not. In this single respect, they still felt like secret agents, though reading the daily paper was hardly exciting field work. This morning's front page of the Stonetown Times, for instance, had been devoted to nothing more sinister than finance, freight, and forestry. Interest rates sharply on the rise, read one headline. Cargo ship shortcut to make maiden voyage, read another, while still another read, Pine Weevil makes meal of southern forests. And the news only grew less interesting on page two. Suspicious, Rennie said. Not unless you think pine weevils are suspicious. Everything I've read has been dull as doorknobs. Kate's eyes twinkled. Hey, that reminds me. Sticky, I... Rennie cleared his throat and gave her a warning look. It was too late, though. Sticky might be slow to make certain connections, but he was exceptionally quick at recognizing personal insults. Go on, he said, burying his face in his hands. It's about my account of the mission, isn't it? Now Kate looked regretful. Oh, no. I was, uh, just going to... She looked helplessly at Rennie, unable to think of what to say. Much to their relief, Sticky lowered his hands and smiled. It was a sheepish smile, but at least it didn't seem wounded. Out with it. Well, it's... Factual, Kate said. And thoughtful, Rennie added, hurriedly taken to the account from his pocket in hopes of finding something to praise. Kate nodded vigorously as Rennie unfolded the papers. Oh, yes, it's very thoughtful. And grammatical. Sticky winced. Is it that bad? Oh, well, I knew it was probably Drek. You should have seen the earlier drafts. This was my sixth attempt. He took the account from Rennie and looked it over ruefully before stuffing it in his pocket. Don't worry, I figured I could never publish it anyway. I just wanted to do something to celebrate the occasion. Rennie had a sudden insight. That's why your hair's gone, isn't it? For old time's sake. I thought you might get a kick out of that, Sticky admitted. This time Dad helped me shave it. No more hair mover concoctions. He shuddered at the memory. Well, I love it, Kate said, giving Sticky's scalp an affectionate rub, and Rennie grinned and nodded his appreciation. For a long time, the three friends lingered in the orchard, reveling in one another's company and reminiscing about their mission to the Institute, laughing, groaning, occasionally shivering as they recalled their experiences, all of which remained perfectly vivid in their memories. They loved the afternoon slip past them. When Kate noticed how long the shadows had grown in the farmyard, she gave a start and hopped up. Good grief, they're going to call us inside soon, and Sticky hasn't even met Madge yet. Who's Madge? Sticky asked. Her Majesty the Queen, Kate said, as if this explained everything. Impatiently, she hauled the boys to their feet and ushered them out into the farmyard, where she blew on her whistle and tugged on the protective glove. Almost instantly, the falcon appeared, streaking down from an unseen height to settle upon Kate's wrist. Sticky's puzzlement faded, replaced by anxiety though he readily expressed his admiration of the sharp-tongued creature, now regarding him with shining black eyes. Falco Pernigerus, he said, knocking as he backed away. Impressive bird, swiftest of predators. He was not at all keen to make her special acquaintance. As casually as he could, Sticky took a cloth from his shirt pocket and removed his spectacles. Rennie smiled to himself. He was quite familiar with Sticky's habit of polishing his spectacles when nervous, and seeing him do it now was unexpectedly satisfying. There was a unique pleasure in knowing a friend so well, Rennie reflected, rather like sharing a secret code. Also, it was nice not to be only one afraid of Kate's bird. Don't worry, Madge, Kate was saying as she fed the falcon a strip of meat. I'll be back before you know it. And, after she sent Madge aloft again, she clucked her tongue and said, Poor thing. Did you see how fidgety she was? She knows I'm going away. I think it makes her nervous. Oh, yes, said Sticky with a doubtful glance at Rennie. Poor thing. Rennie patted Kate's back. I'm sure your little raptor will be fine. 
Richard Brazos had prepared a scrumptious meal, and dinner was a boisterous, satisfying, happy affair, with everyone chatting at once and platters constantly being passed this way and that. For dessert, Moocher served his much-anticipated apple pies. Six of them, in fact, although that number seemed less extravagant once Moocher's own appetite was taken into account. After the dishes were washed and pleasant tumult died down and the talk fell away, everyone was overcome with drowsiness. It had been a long day for all, and another full day awaited them. The children were determined to stay up regardless, and though only a year ago they had been on a secret mission making life-and-death decisions, now they were subject to the dictates of their guardians, which meant bathing, bidding one another good night, and going to bed. Oh well, Kate said through a yawn, we'll be up again soon, the rooster crows at sunrise, you know. And indeed it was the sound of that crowing that woke Rennie the next morning. He sat up blearily, he slept on a pallet on the floor, to see grey dawn beyond the window, and Miss Permel sitting up in a bed, smiling at him. "'Today's your big day,' she said. "'I know you're excited. "'You didn't sleep until after midnight.' "'You were awake,' Rennie said. "'He'd been so involved in his thoughts "'that I hadn't paid much attention to Miss Promwell's breathing. "'Obviously, though, she'd been paying attention to his. "'I'm excited, too,' Miss Promwell said. "'I know you're going to love your surprise.' "'There was something about her expression that gave Rennie pause. "'She was happy for him, he could tell. "'But there was something else, too. "'It reminded him of the day she had driven him to take Mr. Benedict's tests.' When she had felt convinced he would no longer need her as a tutor, her eyes now as then reflected a mixture of pride, expectation, and a certain sadness. But they were family now, and Rennie knew nothing could induce Miss Permel to leave him. So what was she musing about? Miss Permel's eyes suddenly changed. With a little laugh of surprise, she turned her face away from him. And when she turned back, she adopted a scolding look. "'I forget how good you are at reading expressions,' she said. She wagged a finger." You mustn't study things too closely, Rennie, if you don't want to spoil your surprise. Together they roused Miss Promo's mother, whose slumber had been unaffected by the rooster's crow, but it was always susceptible of tickling, and after she had come awake laughing and calling them villains, they all set about getting ready. With a feeling of re- resignation, Rennie put on his shirt number two had set him for his last month on his birthday. He knew it was a token of her affection, but he still couldn't look at the shirt without wrinkling his nose. Number two's apparent conviction was that a good fashion meant matching one's clothes to one's skin tone. Her own wardrobe consisted almost entirely of yellow fabrics that it accentuated her yellowish complexion. And so naturally she thought this muddled, flesh-colored shirt would suit Rennie perfectly. It did fit him, sort of, but Rennie couldn't have imagined an uglier shirt. Or, for that matter, a less comfortable one. It was made of canvas for durability, number two had written. And he wrote it now only because he expected to see her today. You too, Sticky muttered, but Rennie met him in the hall. Sticky was wearing a light brown shirt made of some kind of thickly padded material. His torso appeared to have swollen, and he was perspiring heavily despite the morning's chill air. Rennie recalled that Sticky's birthday was in January. No doubt the shirt had seemed more suitable then. They made me wear it, Sticky said, jerking his thumb toward the room we shared with his parents. He looked Rennie up and down. Do you realize you look like a tote bag? At least I'm not puffy, Rennie said. Let's go find Kate. They hadn't looked long to look. Before they could start up the stairs, Rennie came, Kate's came sliding down the banister. To, to their disappointment, she was wearing blue jeans and a perfectly normal shirt. She landed beside them with a delighted grin. Why, you both look handsome. Are you going to a party? Sticky crossed his thickly padded arms. This is unacceptable, Kate. You need to go right back up and put on your birthday present. Absolutely, Rennie said. You're outvoted, Kate. We all suffer together. Kate was rubbing his canvas sleeve to see how it felt. She whistled and gave him a pitying look. Sorry, but mine was much too small for me, so I cut it up and made my pouches out of it. Did I show them to you? 
She eagerly flipped open her bucket sled. It was very sturdy material, so... You showed us already, Sticky said in a defeated tone. What was your present anyway? Mine? Oh, it was a vest, with fringe. Brittany eyed her suspiciously. Was it really too small? Well, said Kate with a sly smile, it was going to be. The day was still quite young when the station wagon and the sedan pulled away. Their eager occupants half-rusted but well-fed. Mucho Brazos stood in the farmyard, waving goodbye to the cars that disappeared beyond the hill. Then he sighed and stroked his muscles sadly. He was much attached to his exurbiant young friend, and with Kate gone, the farm seemed dull already. With a melancholy shake of his head, Mucho headed off toward the orchard, where a number of trees required tending. And so it was that young man who arrived on a scooter a few minutes later was met by an empty farmyard. The young man dashed first to ring the doorbell. He rang it several times, then to the barn, where he discovered a hen depressing a lever with its beak to fill a tiny wagon with grain. He was startled by this sight, but he quickly overcame his wonder and renewed his search for the addressee of the telegram he carried. As he headed out behind the barn, it would be some time before he tried the orchard, the young man, an employee of the town's general store and wire service, was hoping that someone at least would be here. His job was to deliver the telegram to anyone on the Weatherall farm. There was no telephone here, he knew, which explained needed for the telegram. The old store owner told him this was the first telegram they'd been asked to deliver in many years, and what is a very curious, very urgent one, it was. It read, Children, you must not come. Stop. Too dangerous. Stop. Call me at once, and I will tell you the news. Stop. Oh, it is bad news indeed. Stop. Repeat. Do not come, but call at once, as I fear for your safety. Stop. With love and regret, Rhonda. Thank you.